When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Forever. Dog. No, I was just saying that's too bad because there's a lot of questions people would have, I would have, if I were a person who didn't know everything about her. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Godcast. I am your host. That's right. God, your Lord and Savior. And I'm joined, as always, by Joan of Arc. Joan, are you, Joan, why are you, are you under the desk? I'm sorry, my lord, but could you just do me a favor and transform from your ineluctable, irreducible, transcendent self containing all light, energy, mass, space, and time in one infinitely radiant avatar into your old white guy with a beard version? Of course, of course. I'm sorry. That's my bad. There you go. Uh, sorry. Thank you. Oh, thank you. I for- Sometimes when we're not actually recording, I like to, just for comfort, revert to my ineluctable, irreducible, zero-dimensional self hovering in no time and no space with all light and all energy absorbed into one little point. But it's hard to look at, and I understand why it's hard to deal with, Joan, so please uh, forgive me. Yeah. Good show for you today. Our guest is none other than the legend, Babe Ruth. I am very excited. Are you excited, Joan? We got the Babe. Babe on the show today. Yeah, I, mean, I, I, just, have two, I just have two questions. Um, Is his real name Babe? And is the movie with the adorable pig based on him? Okay, I have two answers. Number one, no, his real name is George Herman Ruth. Babe is a nickname. Less fun. And number two, no! That's disappointing, but okay. The guest was going to be Marilyn Monroe, by the way, which would have been an amazing Mm -hmm. guest. But uh, Jesus, I guess, had some issue with the booking at the last minute. Jesus, what happened? Uh, Yeah, uh, Marilyn Monroe uh, was supposed to be here, but uh, shit. Uh, you know what? I think she's got what they're calling now a substance abuse problem. Uh, I Originally, I convinced her to do the show. And then I said, oh, um, I invited uh, John Kennedy over to watch you. And uh, that she started screaming at me. And that was it. Hmm. Uh, well, I, I admire... The aspiration of trying to get Marilyn and JFK on together. Yeah. That would have been something. We'll, we'll keep working on that. Hopefully we'll be able to get Marilyn back in soon. Mm-hmm. It, it, it just seems to me, though, Jesus, and maybe this is just me. Jim, tell me what you think. Mm-hmm. It seems to me that she lived her life like a candle in the wind. So true. Right? I and mean, You sell candles, Joe, right? I do, and I do have a Marilyn Monroe-scented candle. Yeah. It smells like hairspray in Chesterfield. Oh, yeah. Not a big seller. Yeah, yeah. That, those those were her brand. Yeah. By the way, speaking of future episodes, I'm very excited about this. I don't usually tease episodes after the current one, but I am in this case. Next week, our episode will not have an interview, at least not a regular kind. Instead, the interview will be by Joan mm-hmm. of me. That's right. The two of us are going to be sitting down for an evening at the 92nd Street Y in New York City with a live audience of a few hundred people. 
and I am going to be answering a lot of questions that humankind has been wondering for a long, long time about me, about life, about the past, about the present, about the future, about how to eat shellfish or not. It's going to be very, very exciting. Joan has been preparing these questions for weeks. Nothing off limits. Nothing off limits. I'm so nervous. You don't need to be nervous, Joan. Yeah. You're going to be great. I'm going to be there right by your side. And if you do anything wrong, I'm going to morally judge you and condemn you right there. And then we'll move on. So there's nothing to worry about. And it's going to be really very exciting. That's going to be on the show week after this. <laughs> very, very exciting. Uh, that's next week, but this week is this week. And actually speaking of this week, I have been asked now lately by a number of people to speak more at the top of the show, which is what this is about current events, things that have happened this week, things that are unique to what's happening in the news in this seven day period. So Joan, I know you like to keep track of the news. Mm -hmm. You are a bit of a junkie in that way. So Let's talk about what's going on in the news just this week. What do you got? Okay, well, this week, an unarmed black man was shot by police. No, again, I, maybe you didn't understand me. I just want things that are only taking place this week, mm. not things that happen every week in America and have for the last 100 years. Just things unique to things that are au courant, if you will. Oh, okay. Go ahead. Okay, well, then, um, a high-level Republican official... Uh, was accused of having sex with someone underage. Okay, Joan, again, just just things that this are unusual, current. where you Un- say, wow, I haven't heard that story before. Oh. Not things where you go, oh, I've heard that story all the time since uh, roughly the Teddy Roosevelt administration. Okay, um, well then, okay, just looking through this week's news. Um, mm-hmm. Oh, oh, in America, there was, um, there oh, it was tragic. There was a mass shooting at a- Joan, I love you. I'm going to say it again. I'm looking for things that are specific to this particular week in April. You say there was a mass shooting in America. Okay. Uh, Oh, oh, oh. Uh, This is topical. A number of homeschooled evangelicals have expressed their opposition to a vaccine. Okay, Joan, obviously you need some work on this because the way you're going over these allegedly current events, you're making it seem like America is a place where the same depressing, immoral things happen the same way week after month, after year, after decade, after century, with no progress and no hope of it ever being any different. Is there anything new? Is there anything truly unique that happened this week that hasn't happened in prior weeks, months, years, decades, centuries? J-Lo and A-Rod broke up. I know! Holy shit! Did you hear it? That and they have all those ma- businesses I, together. It's going to be so uncomfortable. That's going to be really weird. Yeah. You know, if Alo and J-Rod can't make it as a couple, then literally <sighs> anybody else could still make it as a couple because they are the least likely people to make it as a couple. So it doesn't really affect anybody else from that standpoint. And by the way, I'm going to bail you out here, Joan. There is something unique to this week, uh, unique to every April 22nd. It's Earth Day. <gasps> It is Earth Day. I'm going to sing the same song I sing to the Earth every year on April 22nd. Goes a little something like this: Happy Earth Day to you. Happy Earth Day to you. Happy Earth Day, dear planet. Humanity is destroying through short-sighted greed and species-wide narcissism. Happy Earth Day to you. All right. Oh, that was beautiful. Depressing, but beautiful. Thank you. I just think it's great that humanity 
deigns to set aside one day out of 365 every year to vaguely remember the planet without which it would immediately die. I sense the sarcasm. Uh, I think we're done with the top of the show. Why don't we go to... I need a cigarette. That was depressing. Okay. You're... Go ahead. Oh, no, I mean, I'll, I'll, Jesus and I will, will do that during the next break. It's okay. fine. Do you need a lighter? No, sorry. Sorry. <sighs> I, I did not ask that as a joke. I it's genuinely, fine. It's I genuinely. Fine. What's next? Uh, it's prayer of the week, but let me just, I'm going to change my voice before we get into it. Okay. So what's next is prayer of the week. All right. Junkie, you remind us all how to leave a prayer of the week so that I might answer it. You just leave it in the form of a review, preferably a good one, on Apple Podcasts, and maybe you'll be lucky enough to have your prayer answered. Yeah, maybe. Okay, so what do we got, Joan? This week's prayer comes to us from someone named Epi G on Apple Podcasts, uh, and it says, I was raised Catholic, but became a heathen thanks to birth control and punk rock music. Wait, 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 hold on. Huh, birth control and punk rock music. Yeah. I... I uh I do not like one of those two things. Which not one? Birth control. Oh right. N- not a fan of birth control. Love punk rock music. I go way back. I mean, not just the Sex Pistols, but like deep stuff, like Generation X, Billy Idol's first band, X itself, of course. Uh, he used to go undercover at CBGBs in that that getup. Remember that getup you used to wear when you would go undercover there? Oh yeah, I would check out the Dead Kennedys, Butthole Surfers, all that stuff back in the late 70s, back when punk was really punk and they were, oh, I love that stuff. And I hate, hate birth control. So anyway, go on. Well, uh, I guess I'll read you the prayer anyway. Um, so my prayer today to you, most glorified and holy deity of compassion and three chord riffs, <laughs> is for all the horny, young, penniless rock and rollers to have access to proper birth control slash family planning. Oh, uh. This is a tough one for me because I I like EPG personally. I love her tasted music. I love the love the punk stuff. Right. Not liking the love of birth control. I think my position on on birth control is pretty clear in the mm-hmm. verse in the Bible. Yeah. Uh, be be fruitful and multiply. I don't think she's getting that message. There's no like exception for drummers, is what you're saying. There's no exception for anybody. Uh, as much as I like, you know what. Maybe let me try to give her the message in Ramon's style. Maybe okay. that would work for her. Let's see if that works. Two, three, four. Be fruitful and multiply. Be fruitful and multiply. Be fruitful and multiply. Time for birth control to die. Uh, so, FEG, uh, the Lord hath spoken and your prayer has, I guess, not been answered. I apologize. Yes. Two last thoughts about this topic. Number one. There's nothing less punk rock than birth control. It's yeah, evil. It's true. Number two, X's best album is Under the Big Black Sun. I know some people might say Los Angeles or Wild Gift, but Under the Big Black Sun was produced by Ray Manzarek, who really brought that polished Doors sound to his work. And that opening song, The Hungry Wolf, one of the best riffs in punk history. And that, and was, that was Prayer, prayer of the of Week. The week. I got. Okay. You got it. Oh, sorry. I, I got. Yes, that. Sometimes sh- you let me say it. Sometimes now I will do it. Now and that was. And that was prayer of the week. Prayer of the week. 
Coming up, I sit down with Babe Ruth, an extraordinary baseball player and a real weird-looking dude. Hi, everybody. Tim Heidecker here with huge news. We have a terrific episode of Office Hours Live prepared for you. We had the great stand-up comedian Kyle Kinane come in and a very special in-studio music session from legendary Emdu Mokhtar. You're not going to want to miss this one. You can find it on your podcast app of choice by going to Sears or Macy's and getting an iPod and then coming home, charging it up and listening through your app. My guest today is arguably the greatest baseball player in history. When he retired in 1935, he had 714 HRs, 2,214 RBIs, and 15 STDs. I'm honored to be joined here in the heavenly studios by the man, the myth, the legend, George, Herbert, Walker, Herman, Munster, Babe, Ruth. Hello, sir. Thank you for having me up here, God. I, I really do appreciate it. However, I, I, I will say I take some offense to the word arguably. I, I, I am the greatest baseball player of all time. I am the Babe Ruth of baseball. I see that in a sense. I guess, I guess some would call you the Babe Ruth of baseball. I can see how some might call you that. Since baseball is all about arguments and devil's advocacy, and even though the devil likes to advocate, I do advocating myself. Willie Mays, why are you better than Willie Mays? Uh, I hit more home runs. I was also the greatest left-handed pitcher of my era. And then I'm like, you know what? I feel like hitting a lot more home runs. So I started playing the outfield. I, I am. I could have been the best pitcher ever. Willie Mays is great. 660 home runs. I hit 714. But part of those years, I was pitching. Right. Okay. So you're saying you're better than Willie Mays because you hit more home runs than him. Then by that logic, I assume Hank Aaron was a better player than you. Hank Aaron was a very consistent ball player. He uh, he did it clean, which I appreciate. That's great. But keep in mind, he had 162 games a year. I only had 154. Also... Uh, you know, he he just he hit forty home runs a year more or less. He's very consistent. But did he hit sixty? Did he hit fifty nine? Did he ever hit a home run drunk off his ass? Did he ever hit a home run uh, after disappearing for four days in a stupor? No, no, he did not. No, he did not. And we're going to get to all that about you and your incredibly, let's say, colorful life. You were, by all accounts, not the best kid. You were, you were kind of a rough kid. You kind of grew up on the streets of Baltimore. Your father kept a saloon. And you were a bit of a troublemaker, were you not? Of, of course I was. I was I was born in an area called Pigtown. Not a lot of heroes come from Pigtown, God. Well, Pigtown is nicer now than it was then, and especially West Pigtown. If you've ever been to West Pigtown, it's very gentrified. They have a lot of... Uh, oh, I haven't gone back in a long time. I haven't been back to Balmer in forever. By the way, The Wire does a very good job of covering Balmer. It really does. The TV show The Wire. So, so when you say Balmer, for those of us who, who live in, in a normal part of the world, that means Baltimore, correct? Yeah, if, if you uh, pronounced every letter, yes, that would be the pronunciation, but it's, it's Balmer. Uh, also, Homicide. Uh, what about John Waters movies? Do you think those cover Baltimore well? I've never seen his films. Never seen uh, 
Ever seen Polyester? No. Crybaby? No. Dirty Rotten Shame? No, I'm more of a, a procedural guy. So when you were growing up in in Balmer, Balmer, yeah, at the age of seven, you were put into a Catholic reformatory school where you lived off and on, more or less, for the next 13 years of your life. That's right. Today, when you hear about young boy, Catholic school, priest supervision, yeah, certain images, yeah. unfortunately come to mind. I think you know what I'm talking about. I absolutely know what you're talking about, and they're absolutely accurate. Priests know baseball, and it's shocking how well they knew baseball. Brother Matthias took me under his wing, and the next thing I know, I'm hitting like him. I'm slugging home runs, and I'm like, I I have a calling. Maybe shirt-making isn't the road for me, and he changed my life. You know, the, the strange thing is they moved him from our reformatory to another reformatory a few years after he taught me baseball, which was strange. I heard they moved him a few more times after that. But I guess he was like a, a, a roving instructor with baseball and these kids. Okay. Okay. Well, we I talked uh... baseball. We played baseball. That's all it was. Just lots of baseball. And uh, you certainly got good. You got very good. And you began as a pitcher. Some people know this who are baseball fans. Not everybody does. But you started out as a great left-handed pitcher. That's right. That's right. Won over 20 games twice. Uh, also could hit. That, that was the problem. I was too good to keep pitching. I was too good to be the best pitcher of my era. Do you understand? Yes, yes, I do. I do. And you could always hit the long ball. You always hit the dinger. You could always hit the tater. You could always hit the round circuit. How many synonyms for home runs do you think there are? Oh, there, there was a lot more back then. Like what? We had Dinger. We had Tater. We had Spud. We called it a puck. We called it the old B-ball. That's since been taken. We called it skipping the stone. You mentioned, you know, Spuds and Taters. And there were other, at the time, other potato-based synonyms for home runs as well. The, uh, the I know the French fry, you know, to, to, to hit a French fry was to hit a home run. It was the same thing. Yeah. That's correct. To uh, mallet a hash brown. When you would mallet a hash brown, that that was a synonym for hitting a home run. That's right. To bake a latke was also a term for hitting a home run. For some reason, there were a lot of of potato-based home run terms. Yeah, that's true. I think it, it comes from the old world. You got better through the late teens, and then you finally got your big chance. You were drafted by your hometown team, the Baltimore Orioles, played with them for a year, and then, of course, you were famously traded to... The Boston Red Sox. What happened was they wanted to keep me in Balmer. It was a minor league team. They were running out of money. So they started selling their players and they, they sold me up to Boston to the big leagues. And so, uh, you know, I was a, a young pitcher. And it was it was strange because I, I'd never left Balmer before. And then all of a sudden I'm in this big city, Boston. Being able to do whatever I wanted to do. It was wild. I don't know if you remember this. In 1919, there was the Great Molasses Flood of Boston. Do you happen to remember that incident? That was a real incident where there was an enormous tanker of molasses that broke. And it exploded onto the street. And it killed 19 people. And they all drowned in molasses. And you were in Boston at that time. Do you remember that incident? I'm going to plead the fifth. Um... You will have to take that up with my attorney. Okay, I'm not accusing you. I, I'm not. I'm not 
blaming you, babe. I'm not saying you were responsible. Were you responsible? Sometimes things happen when you drink. And uh, you don't always remember what, what happened. But sometimes you get home and there's molasses all over your pants and shoes. And you don't know how that molasses got there. The next morning you hear a story about a molasses flood. And you don't know. Did I just walk through the molasses? Did I cause it? Nobody knows. I certainly don't know. But I'm going to plead the fifth. Okay. Well, that's that's interesting. That, that, was in, uh, that was in 1919, I believe. Later that year, you were famously traded. You were traded to the New York Yankees. Yeah. And how did you feel at that moment? You were going, things were going so well for you in Boston. You had become this big star. You were pitching for the most part. You were occasionally hitting. You were a great left-handed pitcher. You were in a great town that really loved you. And all of a sudden, you're gone to the New York Yankees, who at that time were kind of a loser organization. They had never won a World Series, as opposed to the Red Sox, who had won five at that point. Well, initially, I was sad to leave Boston. I had met someone early on during my time and married Helen, and we, we settled down there. And so I felt kind of bad about, about leaving Helen. She didn't want to come to New York. And then I got to New York and realized Helen wasn't there. And then everything got Right, good. exactly. You did a lot of, I think the best word for it is probably fucking- uh, you did a lot of fucking when you were in New York, taking advantage of your of your celebrity. I, I I engaged in certain activities from time to time, every day, before, during, and after games. That's correct. One time, a private detective was hired by Yankees management to follow you around, and in one night, the detective reported that you had been in the company of six different women. Yeah, that's quite quite impressive. Yeah, I don't remember it. I, I again, I was drinking at the time, so it's very possible I could have thought it was the same woman. Yeah, I mean, I had fun when I was playing. You know, again, okay, I was raised in Pigtown, of course. I didn't think I'd leave Pigtown. Next thing I know, I'm in Boston. I'm like, oh, nothing, nothing's bigger than Boston. This place is huge. Then I get to New York. What do you think's gonna happen? You go to the big city, you're gonna have fun. You know, and I was a big fella. I was. I was John Belushi before John Belushi. I was Chris Farley before Chris Farley. Except I could hit. In 1920, first full season with the Yankees, you hit 59 home runs. That sounds about now, right. This is something I always am confused about. When you first started hitting home runs, at that time, before you, baseball was really more of a low-scoring, strategic game involving a lot of singles and base stealing and hit and runs and strategy. And you just started hitting the crap out of the ball and knocking it out of the park. Yeah. And when you did that, all the owners began by saying, I don't know. I don't know if that's good. I don't know if people want to see the ball just hit the shit out of. I think people would rather see a small game where you have to squint really far to see what's going on. Why was that? Why did why was it so hard for them to accept the fact that people might want to see home runs? It it is confusing considering baseball back then was more boring than it is now. That's saying something. And all of a sudden, I'm hitting home runs. They don't know what to do with it. Well, I think part of it had to do with cost. They weren't actually losing balls at the time, and all of a sudden I'm hitting them God knows where. That was costing them money. I don't think they saw the bigger picture until they saw the fans show up. And then they're like, what? They like this. They like seeing, you know, projectiles flying this way and that. They like a free souvenir. 
all of a sudden they get it. But it just, it, I think it was a financial thing. Interesting. Yeah, they the, the balls go out of the park, creates more souvenirs. This is a controversial take. People are always surprised to have this, this take, but I'm all for steroids. I like the home run. People like, if we're going to save this game, we need more dingers. Think about this, all right? They had a dead ball that you didn't go very far. So I started hitting them really far, and they were like, we better introduce a completely new ball. That's right. Before 1922, the ball was made of a uh, a polymer made of cement and cheese. Yep. And it was very hard to really get any distance on it. it to be honest, calling it a ball is very suspect. It was technically a, a ball, but it kind of went in every different direction. It, it wasn't circular. It kind of... It was it was more of a glo- a, a globule, right? It was very hard hitting a globule. It was not regularly spherical either. It kind of had little things sticking out. It kind of had. It was not a, a ball should not have corners, and a lot of those balls had corners to them. It made it hard In to addition hit. Before nineteen twenty two, to the fact spitballs were allowed, which was people putting tobacco juice on. I mean, I used a spitter. Sure, using semen and tobacco juice. That was very effective. Every bodily fluid was fair game. Whatever it took at that time to get a fair advantage, I was going to do it. And I knew that even though my catcher may not necessarily want semen in his glove, if you're a team player, you let me throw the cum ball at you. Absolutely. No, you, the semen ball worked. The uh, the urine ball yep. worked. The I, the feces ball was particularly effective. That had a brutal cut yes. in the last 10 feet. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, that was very, very nasty stuff. And then when you caught it, it was also very, very nasty stuff. Very difficult. It's funny that you say that you are in favor of performance-enhancing drugs because the drugs, the chemical alterants anyway, that you took during your career were performance-declining. Can you imagine how many home runs I could have hit if I was sober? It's amazing. It's amazing. You could have hit probably 900, 1,000 home runs had you not been so drunk all the time. Okay, so I was saying it's easier to hit a baseball when you can see it. But what if there are three or four coming at you at the same time? You got to pick which one to swing at. And how would you pick? I generally went to the one in the middle, but sometimes I'd mix it up. I was never sure, but I aimed at the one at the middle and and, and I hoped I'd connect. I struck out a lot. I did. But if you hit enough home runs, they forgive you. I'm the base. So the 1927 Yankees... By general consensus, the greatest baseball team ever assembled. What was that like that year, that incredible summer, playing on a team that good? Well, we all uh, had syphilis, uh, which was my fault. I obviously had it first and then spread it to the other guys. Because let's be honest, when you have a team that gels as well as the 27 Yankees, everyone is having sex with each other. And that is part of the bonding process in sports. So I was not careful. I did not use my lambskin condom. Next thing I know, everybody has it other than Lou. You know, that's why they called us murderer's robe, but we used to joke around and called ourselves murderer's rash because of the syphilis I had given everyone during sexual relations. No, I got it. We were a very open team, especially at the time. But another part of that team that is not well known is that you and two of your teammates, Lou Gehrig and Tony Lazari, During that season, you worked out forever definitively what first base, second base, third base, and a home run was sexually. Yeah. You you spent that year 
talking it through, working it out. And yeah. by the time you were done, by the time you had won the World Series, sweeping the Pittsburgh Pirates four games to nothing, you had worked out for all time, for all men, and I suppose for all women, what first base, second base, third base, at home was. How did, how did that happen? Describe that process. Well, it was, see, Lou was, is a very, was a very good guy. And Lazari, you know, he was kind of between us in terms of uh, his, his, what, how do I describe, crudite? Does that mean crudeness? No, crudite is a kind of uh, hors d'oeuvre, like a cauliflower or carrot. I don't know if that applies, but he, he was, he was in the middle of that crudite scale. So you got this choir boy in Lou Gehrig, and so home runs, they re- they, they've meant different things until they went down to just mean intercourse. The idea of heavy petting, that wasn't even on there. But you eventually settled on first base being kissing or French kissing. And a lot of it's because Lou Gehrig was kind of a kind of a prudish guy. Oh, that was his home run. Then eventually second base, there was some debate in the month of August. You spent the entire August working this out as you were plowing through the American League competition. You and Lou and Tony were figuring out whether second base should be under the shirt and under the bra or under the shirt and over the bra. And you finally settled, and I think wisely, if I may say so, on over the bra. You know, Lou worked some of that out with his wife. And, you know, I never thought about asking a woman of her opinion regarding our baseball system. And though initially she was repulsed by the fact that we would even discuss it, she did add a lot of insight that let us slow down the process and really uh, appreciate sex for what it is, which is a beautiful, gradual process between two consenting adults, as opposed to simply a game that a man plays in order to, to add to his tally like they were home runs. She was a smart lady. Coming up next, game two of my doubleheader with Babe Ruth. Let's get back to the baseball. Let's get back to the on-the-field stuff. Sure, sure. How would you fare in the major leagues in 2021? How, how would you do? Would you be as good as, let's say, Mike Trout? Mm, that's a very How would I fare? You know, I, I'd still be hitting home runs, but I think we'd have an issue with the fitness regimes. That's why I loved Bartolo Colon. When I saw Bartolo Colon hit that home run against the San Diego Padres several years ago, I, I jumped out of my seat. I'm like, I can't believe this. It's like me hitting a home run from the right side. That's what I can do. So I, I have that kind of power still. Those of you who don't know, Bartolo Colon is a pitcher who occasionally hits and recently or, or a couple of years ago against San Diego hit a home run at the age of 94. He was 94. He was 94 years old. He was well over 300 pounds. He, he probably should not be playing baseball, but he, it was still, his arm was good. If you still throw the ball pretty well, you can still play. And he had to bat, and that was always a joke. And then he took a swing, and he connected. He put everything into it, and the game was delayed for about 45 minutes as he ran the bases. It was more of a, a slow walk. It was one of the the greatest things in the history of baseball. And that night he had an extra helping of pudding because all he could eat by that point was was pudding. He was was such an old man. He was a very old man. He was a very old man. So based on the fact Bartolo Colon hit a home run, he's not even a a regularly hitting player. I would have hit 70, 80, 90 home runs. Easy. Easy. What was your life like after you retired? 
Did you enjoy being the legend that you were? Did you enjoy walking around having people say, that's Babe Ruth, the greatest player who's ever lived? I really wanted to manage more than anything. And, you know, there were some incidents during my playing days where I was suspended for maybe some poor behavior. Perhaps I took Miller Huggins, my manager, and put him over the edge of a of a moving train, threatened to drop him and kill him. There could have been all sorts of things that happened, allegedly. But I, 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 the boys trusted me. I'm Babe Ruth. Who are you going to listen to? Someone who isn't Babe Ruth? Ah, I wanted to manage so bad, but they didn't think I could. They said I couldn't manage a team since I couldn't manage myself. Well, I managed 714 home runs. I managed God knows how many championships. I, I think I managed pretty well. You know, I'm, I'm goddamn Babe Ruth, and they make a movie about me, and John Goodman plays me? Yeah, that was a bad film. Bad John Good, that was a bad, and it was before, it was before Lebowski Goodman. I'm getting Roseanne Goodman. Are you kidding me? I'm Babe Ruth, and that's and there's no, there hasn't been another Babe Ruth movie. Have you noticed that? No, there hasn't been. That's true. I was the I was the the Michael Jordan of baseball. Where's my where's where's my bio flick that doesn't star John Goodman? Well, biopics are hard, you know, because they don't adhere to the ideal three-act structure that you're taught in the McKee screenwriting class, necessarily. Lives don't adhere to that strict, dramatic structure. If you're taking a basic class in screenwriting, you would know this, babe. Right. In World War II, when the U.S. Army was fighting the Japanese, once in a while, the Japanese, when attacking the Americans, would yell over the trenches, screw Babe Ruth. How did that make you feel? It did not feel good. I actually replied with something by today's standards would be racist. I do have some regret that I I said that. It wasn't even subtle. It was pretty racist and it involved uh, killing them. And uh, I do I do regret that. Uh, But yeah, it made me feel I feel bad. But then I realized, wait a second. And this was after I made the racial remarks. I thought to myself, wait a second. If they're saying they hate Babe Ruth to hurt Americans, that means they view me equivalent to a god or a president. That is that is a hell of a compliment. So after that, I was okay with it. Babe, I would be remiss in this conversation if I did not bring up the most notable single moment of your career, the famous called shot. Yes. I gotta th- I gotta thank you for that. You really got me out of a jam there. Yes, l- let's set the stage. It's 1932. Right. It's the World Series. You're up against Charlie Roots on the mound. You're, yes, Char- Char- I'm. I'm getting. I'm setting the scene. Sorry. I'm sorry. So you you were there. You know. Yeah. You're up against the Chicago Cubs. Charlie Root is on the mound. You are getting razzed. That's a baseball term. You are getting razzed mercilessly by the Cubs for being a large man, for being an old man, for being over the hill, being past your prime. They went after my ankles. Always self-conscious about my ankles. I was a big man with tiny ankles, dancer's ankles. Ugh. Yes, you looked you, you look ridiculous in that respect, and that's on me, but I more than made up for it in other gifts I gave and you. I'd have to get so, pants tailored for those ankles. It was so hard. It was easier when I got rich to say, okay, I'm, a, I'm like a, a size 36, but when you get to the to the ankles, I'm a children's size four. Is it? By the way, I know the answer to this, but while we're on the topic, is it true what they say about small ankles means? 
Yeah, I, I had one testicle that was larger than the other. Game four, 1932, World Series. They're razzing you mercilessly. You come to the plate. Tell us what happens. So I step out of the batter's box, right? And I see this dame in left field. I just couldn't believe. I'm like, oh, look at that broad. She is gorgeous and uh, looks like she probably has a job and, uh, you know, has a career and all that. that. That also entered my mind, but many years after the fact, after I was told that's what I should say. And I pointed to her with my bat from home plate, and that was a, a signal to ushers. And yeah, I know we were in Wrigley Field, but all the ushers knew that one, proposition that one. And so I put the bat, pointed to her, off to the side, I'm like, let me just do this. Then I'll get back into the batter's box, do what I got to do. But I got to make sure the post game is taken care of. Next thing I know, I hear people whispering, he's calling a shot. He's calling a shot. He's saying something. I'm like, oh, no. That wasn't my intention. I just wanted to have sex with a lady. Now, all of a sudden, the pressure's on, right? God damn it. I got to hit a dinger or a spud, as we called it at that time. And I didn't, I mean, I've, I can't do it by, you know, just like, I, it's not a thing you can do. Because if you do that, generally what would happen is they would hit you with the ball. Right? That makes sense. Oh, you think he's, baseball is very big on destroying fun. Today, you've noticed this. You have these young players who like to dance or hit home runs and flip the bat. And then what happens? They come up the next time and the opposing pitcher throws the ball at them, trying to kill them. It's called breaking an unwritten law. That's what they call it. You know, the unwritten laws. Every institution has certain unwritten laws. Like, in society in general, there's an unwritten law against murder. You know, it doesn't say anywhere on paper you can't kill somebody, but it's just kind of widely understood in a tacit way. You know what the, do you know what the unwritten law, law is? You're not allowed to have fun on the field in baseball. People get angry, like, what? What are you doing? You think this is a game? This is some kind of game? Yeah, it is a game. So, anyway, I assumed I was going to get hit with the ball at that point. I'm like, this isn't good. So I see the catcher. He's setting up inside. I'm like, all right, just make sure it hits the stomach. I won't feel it. But the ball, right down the middle, couldn't believe it, crushed it. Absolutely crushed it. And I knew you were with me. You bailed me out of that, champ, because there was no way in hell I was going to hit that. So that whole thing, you pointing to a woman in the... Like, that's a that's a Van Halen move. That's a Van Halen third song into the concert move, David Lee Roth pointing to the chick so the roadies know to bring her backstage. It's that move that you did, and that led to the called shot. That's correct. It was not a baseball decision. That was a post-game decision, and it, it led to this this moment that people keep... To, and honestly, it's the first time I've fessed up to it. I generally say, yeah, I called a shot. Yeah, absolutely. I'm going to hit it over there. And I hit it over there. It's not what happened. You're thanking me because you believe I helped you in that moment. Well, yeah. I mean, first of all, why was the ball down the middle? Secondly, how did I manage to hit a home run, not just a double, right? There's there Who knows what could have happened? I definitely was trying to elevate the ball. I assume you had something to do with it. Babe, I don't know if you'll be unhappy or, or happy to know this, but that was all you. I had nothing to do with it. I'm not a big baseball fan. I find the game boring. That's true. I found it boring. Why do you think I drank so much? 
It's a long game. It's even longer now with all the commercial breaks. My God. Let me tell you something else that bothers me about today's game. But could you just put that beer down, though? I, I feel like you've had enough. All right, well, I can't have beer? I'm dead. Why does it, it matter? Like, you know how it works. The beer is still beer, live or dead. I, I just feel like I just I see you getting a little Babe Ruthy right now, and I just I just want to make sure we can finish this in a, in a good tone. Wait, you so. you want Babe Ruth? You want Lou Gehrig? All right, I'm Babe Ruth. I'm gonna do my Babe Ruth thing. All right, Lou Gehrig, I'd be up here drinking punch. No, I know. I've had Lou Gehrig on the show before. And he did drink punch. It was a lovely interview, and he still considers himself the luckiest guy. In the face of the afterlife, by the way. Of course. Still a, a, a hell of a guy. So here's the thing. Nowadays, the contract's huge. Fair enough. I, I made a ton of money back in my day, especially off endorsements. I started that, by the way. But now, the they take so much. Every injury they take off. Uh, my ankle hurts. My back hurts. I, my arm's broken. I have to, uh, I'm on the pitch limit. I can only pitch eight pitches every three weeks. Like It's ridiculous. You know, I, I played with broken ribs. I played with a broken ankle. I played with fingers broken, all sorts of sprains. I, I played with gonorrhea, syphilis, uh, diseases that don't exist anymore. I mean, the clap, is that gonorrhea also? I had that one. Herpes. Anal warts. Forgot about the anal warts. And I played with it. I slid. I slid with anal warts. And these guys, they're, they're, they're oh my god. Try going to the bathroom in the middle of the game, screaming for four or five minutes. Because I peed for a long time. I drank a lot. It was like that scene of League of Their Own with Tom Hanks, you know, when he's peeing and it just keeps going. Anyways, I, I just, I, I would scream and scream for four or five minutes, have to go upstairs, pretend that I wasn't pissing blood and screaming, and then I'd have to go up. And oh, my ankle hurt. Get out of here. Before we go, I wanted to get your thoughts on the infamous curse of the Bambino. When you were traded from the Red Sox to the Yankees, many people think that there was a curse placed on the Red Sox lasting almost a century until 2004. I mean, I think there was a curse. It makes no sense. I mean, it's it, it, the ball went between Buckner's legs in 86, right? That makes sense. He had bad knees. Why was he playing first in the ninth inning? Doesn't make sense. Now, there are some that think that you are responsible for the curse of the Red Sox. Some people think that the owner at the time, Frazee, is responsible. And some people even think I was responsible for the curse. But I wasn't. The truth is, it was just a coincidence. I was not involved at all because, as I said before, I find baseball to be really boring. This little game you do with the balls and the bats and the running and the bases and the sliding. It's its really pointless. It's really stupid. It's really something I can't believe I created a species that would find remotely, remotely interesting. So you're telling me that you had nothing to do with the Red Sox? Not because I I was absolutely sure it had to do with me. No, but I never understand this. I never understand why when I tell people, no, it wasn't anything I did. It was because of something good that those human beings did. They succeeded. People are inevitably disappointed as if a human, human being's success is inherently anticlimactic. And without my intervention or involvement in some way, that makes it disappointing and i don't understand that Well, because the, the idea that 
not only did a team beat another team to win a championship, but they beat God, who was oppressing them. That's a powerful thing. I mean, in Chicago, they thought a billy goat was the problem. I mean, they're out of their minds. I Well, the assumption has to be you had something to do with it. Granted, you are very busy, but uh, it seems like your priorities are not in order, considering the Holocaust. I mean, we can go on. Khmer Rouge, uh, what happened in Rwanda. Clearly, you get distracted. Well, Khmer Rouge, anything that happens in, in Asia, those parts of the world where other religions hold sway, that's not on me. Like, like that, That's not on me. You're a regional god? Yeah, I, I, I have, I have, I have stronger. Re- I'm strong in the Near East, obviously. I'm strong in America. I'm strong in South America. Uh, mm. I think it's fair to say that China and India are not my strong area. I'm working on them. I'm, I'm very much working on those areas. I'd like to be more involved there. Let me, let me give you a tip. Yeah, right? sure. Bring baseball over there. That's what we did in Japan after the war. We did a bunch of stuff. In Japan, now, baseball's huge over there. Now, if you do that and you give them a rule book and a Bible in one, all of a sudden, what's happening? I need to know the, the rules of this game and life. But it's too far. I'm not big in Japan right now. I'm big in Korea. Korea likes me yeah. quite a bit, and I'm, I'm happy about that. By the way, Sadahuru, Sadahuru Oh, he hit more home runs than you in the Japanese league. Ah, uh, yeah, different, uh, different. That's a very different. How thing. is that different? Uh, you know, it's no offense to the Japanese fellas, but uh, it's not Major League Baseball. I, I played Major League Baseball. Yeah, it's it's not Major League Baseball, but it's Major League Baseball. Nah, it's a compelling argument. Hey, before you go, just a little personal business between the two of us. I got your letter for reassignment to heaven. Yes. I'm reviewing it. I just, I, I don't want to tip my hand one way or the other. I just want to say I'm reviewing it and it has not been forgotten by me. God, please. I just can't, like, no offense to Caligula. We have lunch every day. It's getting boring. I'm sick of his stories. And then there was a horse and then there was a chicken and then there was 50. It's just, I... Like, look, he, he, you know, he, Caligula makes me look like Babe Ruth. You know what I mean? Yes, that's, that's literally true. Yeah. yeah. There's all kinds of possibilities ranging from a total reassignment to heaven to slight reassignment to a better circle. And we'll, we'll be looking into that. I certainly understand your feeling about Caligula. That is kind of a, he's a tough, he's a, he's a tough roommate. He's a tough roommate. 714 home runs doesn't get me uh, heaven? Dude, Ty Cobb was as good as you. Have you seen what's happening to him these days? Yeah, he's my neighbor. Thank you, George Herman Babe Ruth, for coming by today. The greatest baseball player of all time. And just a really odd, odd-looking fellow. That's the show this week. I don't know if you saw this just now, Joan, but... Babe Ruth, right before he exited, he pointed towards the door. And then oh. when the interview was over, right on time, he exited out the door he called. Amazing. He's still doing it. What a babe. What a babe. And by the same token, what a Ruth. 
Remember, next week, a very special interview. There will be no guests. It will just be me sitting down for a 45-minute, no-holds-barred interview with Joan. I just want to, I know you had your choice of interviewers, my lord, uh, Oprah, Barbara Walters, and I just want to thank you for trusting me with this important interview. Joan, there is nobody in this world I would rather be interviewed by than you. Oh. Except Kirsten Dunst. What? See you next week. Wait. What? Godcast is a Forever Dog production. Executive produced by Alex Ramsey, Brett Boehm, Joe Cilio, and David Javerbaum. Original music by Gabe Lopez. Joan of Arc appears courtesy of Tara Sands. For more original podcasts, visit foreverdogpodcasts.com and subscribe to our shows on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. For ad-free episodes and exclusive bonus content from this show and others, sign up for Forever Dog Plus at foreverdogpodcasts.com slash plus. And if you haven't already, remember to follow God on Twitter at The Tweet of God. Forever! Forever.